Welcome to episode number three of As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio, where every week we talk about a single Alkaline Trio song. This week, it's Armageddon. Let the light in. Thank you for that introduction, David. Thank you for allowing me, Tim. (laughs) My name is Tim Crisp. This is David Anthony. Hello. Welcome to As You Were podcast about alkaline trio we are discussing armageddon the eighth track on 2001 lp from here to infirmary record number three baby record number three notable within the discography as this is the first trio record on vagrant and it's the first with mike felomley mm-hmm. armageddon coming in at eight or coming in at like what would it be track Two, side two. Yeah. On the vinyl. Do you have that? Yes. How's it sound? Bad. This whole record sounds bad. It's it's something I didn't realize until later in life, because I think when I first heard it, I was way too young to fully understand that. But this record sounds bad, and it's mostly just the drum production. Like, the cymbals are clipping constantly. Yeah, it's really, really bad. Yeah. And it's something that I didn't really realize until later too because i don't know if you've ever picked up on this but there is a really really common ailment in burn cds sure from the early 2000s yeah drums specifically cymbals sound horrific well i mean it's it's not even just a burn cd thing i think that persists it's you know it's a you know bps thing it's a beats or not beats uh megabytes per second thing uh-huh. so like if you're MB. mbps yes. so if like you're below you know this is a very nerdy thing but like the the, the standard for an mp3 a high quality mp3 is 320 uh-huh 256 is common yeah then you get generally like 160 128 96 i think spotify is like lower yeah than 96 either yeah yeah but at that time you know like 128 is where you really and even 160 is where you really hear that symbol is being very tinny very shrill and you know below that it's just very very noticeable um but yeah like i was unaware of that at the time and like when i first heard it well uh, you know the opening track really kind of kicks in Uh and has like loud symbol washes and like I was too young to really think about it. I thought it was clearly like an aesthetic decision to make the record feel more shrill and kind of piercing. Yeah. So I mean, it aligns, especially with that private eye guitar line. Yeah. And there's parts of the record where like, I kind I go back and forth on it cause it does sound awful, but there's part of it that's like, it gives that record what it is. Right. And sure. because that record's so imprinted in me, I kind of like need to hear it that way. You learn to love it based on its faults. Yeah. So like, but I, I just have, I really remember listening to a vinyl copy of it for the first time, which was like not long after it came out Uh and it was just like unlistenable. Interesting. Like the vinyl sounds so, because it's so pronounced Uh in the Uh mix, you just really, really hear it. Yeah. That's what you get from that high quality lacquering. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's great drum hiss. Yeah. Cause we had it, um, in my home, we had it on on a regular cd like we bought it um so it wasn't like it wasn't like someone burned the cd for me but i'm i'm like realizing now how much of that aspect of of listening just kind of washed over me and 
it wasn't until I guess until I was in like college that I started listening to audio. I guess that sure. was kind of when like my first bands that I liked from the eighties were starting to get remastered, and then I was yeah, like yeah, really yeah. like starting to hone in on like oh okay like this is. This is a whole world, a whole world of understanding. Totally. And I mean, I think it's why there's so many disputes about reissues, remasters, remixes, because people grow really accustomed to the bad shit. Right. You know, I, I think there's some records that I've heard that like really improved on a remaster, like Dear You being a great example. Uh-huh. Like, I think the remaster makes it pop a lot more. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I think there's some that they clean it up a little too much, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and with this one, like when I first heard this, I really remember it. I bought the CD the day it came out um, and then got the vinyl shortly thereafter. Um, because at the time you could go to like on release days, you could go to Circuit City or Best Buy and like yeah, it would yeah, be yeah. like five bucks or seven bucks or something. Uh-huh. So, you know, uh, it was less oppressive to do both at the time. Sure. Uh, and I remember listening to it in my dad's basement, which was a funeral home, uh-huh. which is like a very appropriate place for a first listen through of a Alkaline Trio record. It's, it couldn't be much better. Yeah. And it was just, yeah, it was so shrill and kind of oppressive uh-huh. that I kind of, I don't know, it just, it struck me pretty instantly as a record. And like, I was, you know, I remember this is the one where I think a lot of my friends got on board uh-huh. and I feel like, you know, this record has some, some big hits, yeah, Armageddon yeah. being one of them. And I feel like that's one of those songs that, like, even if people weren't like deep into them, Armageddon was a song that people were like into. Yeah, it certainly is. It's certainly one of the ones that that stands out on the record. Before we move on to it, though, I guess I'm just like I've always been curious. Matt Allison knew how to make a record sound okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd done everything previously. What do you think it is about this one that where it just doesn't work? Same studio. I mean, and it's also something that, like, I don't know if this is something that came in after him, because I think this is the first one that Jerry Finn, uh, I think he mixed and or mastered, correct? Jerry Finn on From Here to Infirmary? Yeah, because I think Matt recorded it, Matt Allison recorded it, rather, but I don't think he carried it across the finish line. So Matt Allison produced it and Jerry Finn mixed it. So there's there's part of me that wonders about it because like the way the cymbals sound, that's something you would notice. You'd notice they're peaking when you're recording them. Right. Right. This is really the start of the era. Not even really the start, but like this is it's the loudness wars thing uh-huh. that people so often talk about where like you mix records and master records so loud that you kind of lose dynamics. Sure. And I think this record somewhat has that to a certain degree. There's not a lot of there's moments when things drop out a little bit, but it's it's a pretty really maximalist yeah, record. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if, you know, Jerry Finn was, a, you know, a big name producer in punk uh-huh. and, and would come to do more Alkaline Trio records. I wonder if he was the one like pushing it towards the industry standard side of things. And maybe it's not necessarily, you know, I don't want to cast aspersions on someone who is uh, right, dead, right, right. Yeah, but yeah. I do wonder, you know, the, even records Matt Allison recorded around that time, like, you know, uh, fucking Apathy and Exhaustion doesn't Apathy sound this way. Apathy and Exhaustion sounds great. You know, and has a pretty good drum sound on it. Uh-huh. Um, so it, it's really, I, I don't want to lay the fault at his feet because it just doesn't add up to me. Uh-huh. Like, I can't imagine a, a someone who had spent a lot of time producing this band and producing right, a lot right. of other bands 
being like, oh, yeah, these should be clipping unless that was a very intentional decision from the jump. Yeah, I just feel I, I feel like Mike Fallonly just like comes in on on such a such a dud. I mean, if you're if you're you're paying attention to to all right, we got the new drummer. It's the guy from the Smoking Popes. This should be a good thing. And he comes in, and his drums sound terrible. I mean, the reality is Mike is not that great of a drummer. Like he can't really keep up with this band. It's is true. part of the problem. Yeah. I think, you know, the the interesting thing about the first two drummers in Alkaline Trio, Glenn Porter, Mike Falumley, is they're both lefties playing right-handed kits. So there's there's a necessity in both of them to write parts that like maybe a right-handed drummer wouldn't necessarily do uh-huh. and i think that's really what makes a lot of glenn stuff stick out and i think yeah glenn's got chops yeah for sure and you know he would also set his ride up where most people set their crash symbol and he, if uh-huh. you watch videos of him he's always hitting the hi-hat with his left the snare with his right so yeah. he was much more nimble and able to like do symbol crashes and different stuff and also mm-hmm. more nimble to hit the toms and fills and and mike had that too and i think in a song like Armageddon, you see that with that like intro riff and his drum beat does that da na na da na na yeah because yeah, he's yeah. like being able to jump more nimbly to the toms and back. Uh-huh. And so he yeah, uh, cool. so he he's making some really interesting decisions. But if you saw them around that time or watched live videos of them playing with him, like you can tell he is barely keeping up with them. Is it just the pace for him? You think it's like I mean he's coming from the Smoking Popes and they're they're never really a fast band, at least not after like 1993. Yeah, I think it's that. I think, you know, he also kind of had a gap in time there where the Smoking Popes kind of ended, weren't uh-huh. really doing much. And also like he was he in Duval? Maybe. Sorry. I don't know. That was mean. I, I don't apologies, think so. Josh Caterer. Uh but like he you know, he never really played that fast. Uh-huh. He was, you know, he couldn't do those tight 16s that Glenn could. Well, and Glenn also, Glenn, like, makes up for whatever he might be lacking just with, like, how interesting his fills were. I always liking yeah. Glenn as someone like George Hurley from the Minutemen, where it's just, like, weirdo. Well, and it's the same thing. jazzy like, and, like, goofy. Well, it's that or it's even, like, the Warren Oaks and Against Me, who is, like, the worst drummer of that band, but the most interesting drummer uh-huh. of that band. Yeah, because yeah. he does, he makes decisions that other people wouldn't. And I do think Mike does some really great, interesting stuff on this record, but it's more subdued comparatively to what came before. Like, you can tell, like, anything good that's happening is because he's really pushing himself. Yeah. But up to that point, Glenn would never really ride a, like, for very long. Totally. You know? And uh, I, I think that's a really, you know, big change in this record as well, where, you know, they got, you know, Matt and Dan were huge Smoking Popes fans. Uh huh. You know, one could argue that so much of dan's approach to songwriting is really it begins I mean, and ends yeah, there totally um but at the exact same time like you know mike was also a decade older than them uh-huh. you know like he's he's not a 22 year old who can just like rip through these fast drum parts yeah, yeah you know he's he's a different kind of player and i don't think you know he's the i don't think he's a terrible drummer but is he the best drummer for alkaline trio it's hard oh. to say I mean, it's not hard to say. I think the answer made itself yeah. pretty clear pretty quickly. Anyway, this 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 song comes in, you know, as track A, uh, a little bit deeper, but it really does, like, pick up from, I mean, this isn't, like, a heavily dynamic, quiet record, but if there is a quieter period of it, it's tracks five, six, and seven. So when Armageddon comes in, especially the way it hits... Yeah. With that intro, it really does like boost things and bring you brings you into the latter yeah, I mean, half of the record. You know, Infirmary is a record that starts just 
out the gate racing. Yeah. Right. And then the back half is much moodier, uh-huh. slower paced. And the, yeah, this one does kind of stick out because it is just such like a, it's more akin to a private eye than a crawl. Yeah. I think that if this, um, you know, if this was a, a record that made more of a splash, if this was a record that got a lot of radio play, this is kind of lined up to be the second single yeah. on the record. And yeah. Stupid Kid was, was you know, it did well. The video was on MTV2. Yeah. I'm sure it, got, I'm sure it was on Q101 yeah. back in the day. And this is like, I would say like written kind of with the intention of a second single. I, I mean, yeah. If we're if we're following the old school method of single releasing, uh-huh. you go with "Stupid Kids." Clearly, the number one. That's that's the one that's like meant to be the breakout, right? Yeah. Two would be an Armageddon. Three go with the ballad. Adam song. Yeah, yeah. Adam song, right there, uh-huh. right there in it. And then number four, you would probably do like I don't know. It's like a song that you think could be a single, but is a little quirkier. So probably like a Mr. Chainsaw, right? right yeah. You know, or a Dan song like uh-huh. "Take Lots with Alcohol." Yeah, sure. Do you know that name was the fifth single on A Boy Named Goo? Uh, I do. You know what record has uh, probably more singles than any other record ever? Rumors. Well, that one is close. Shania Twain. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that record. Come on over. Yeah, come on over. There's ha- fucking hits on I that think, record. I would have to go back to like research it, but I remember looking at Wikipedia, because I think it's a 15-track record, 14-track. It's 16 or 17, yeah, actually. it's really long, yeah. and I think there's nine or ten singles uh-huh. that were released from that record over a three-year time span yeah my girlfriend uh just brought back a copy from her grandmother's house yeah and we were playing it the other day it sounds amazing yeah it's and a there's good there's three four number ones on there and then like songs that you're like you're looking at the title and you're like oh yeah i know that song too well it's it's that and it's also like thinking about how the industry operated you know 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, people were putting out a record a year, really yeah. burning through it, but singles could last longer. Same was true in the 90s. If you look at a band like the Gin Blossoms, New Miserable Experience came out in 92. I don't think it they hit until 94. 94. 94 is when that really broke out. Same thing with like a name. like they A label invested in it. They were going to give it five singles to see if this was going to hit, and it did, because yeah. you, you can't really predict those things. By this era of the 2001s, you know, punk was booming ag- again. It was still kind of, you right. know, Still it, not quite. I mean, like two years later, it's really booming. Well, yeah, it has a ten year arc, but it also is in that period where like ninety four was really the apex with Green Day. Uh huh. It shrinks in the late nineties as new metal really comes in and yeah. dominates the form. The early two thousands again were kind of back to, you know, we have Blink one eighty two still dominating. Uh, you know, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket was, I believe, their sole number one record. Um, really. Yeah. That's wild. It was it was the first one, if nothing else. Yeah, I guess uh, Enemy yeah. of the State kind of had a little bit of a build. Yeah, so. yeah, it didn't it didn't come out the gate. You know, that's uh, when the Pop Disaster Tour was going on shortly thereafter. You uh-huh. know, the, the early two thousands, you have Newfound Glory having big hit records, Some Forty One, Good Charlotte. Like the, there yeah. was really a, a boom period with the Warp Tour pop punk world. And Vagrant is like sitting on five or six gold mines potential newfound glories or better well yeah i mean they had fucking dashboard who Uh were massive yeah you know prior to that they'd get up kids and something to write home about was really the first successful thing on vagrant and like 
you know, they kind of kept signing everybody and really trying to build it. Yeah, they had saves the day. They signed Hey Mercedes, which eventually fell through. Or, yeah, there's a cover story about Vagrant that Random Punk Planet that people researched, I think, for 10 months exposing, like, the underbelly of Vagrant and why a lot of bands left and why a lot of bands hated the label, including the Alkaline Trio. Interesting. um, Which we can get into in another episode. Yeah, yeah. But the point is, like, you know, with this record, they were really out ahead of a lot of people. You know, uh-huh. signing to Vagrant was a smart move, uh, despite some of the things that went on internally. Yeah, definitely. But I think that, like, you know, Vagrant not being a major label, it's kind of like one single, see what happens. Yep. So what we get, though, is is Armageddon being a song that, you know, people really, really gravitate towards, like people who buy the record and like it a lot. It's... it's uh, it's one of the ones that I think you put on and everybody gets pumped about it. it I mean, it's hard not to, like, with the way that song opens. Yeah. It's yeah. got a little bit of, uh, listening to it again recently, it reminds me a little bit of the song we uh, talked about in episode two, My Friend Peter, because it just uh-huh. has that immediate, like, and just, like, into it. Like, very quick drum thing. Right. Just, like, very splashy, washy cymbals against, you know, a pretty classic Skiba riff. Yeah, and it is a little bit. It's a little bit different of a of a structure for for Matt. You know, doing the kind of just the chords for the first two, and then uh-huh. he comes in with that octave line, which is a really really nice like tense build up into the verse, which kind of just like like picks up and just like inclines. You know, yeah. it's not I mean, the song's all about incline. Yeah, really. You know, yeah, absolutely. I don't really like this song. I think this song is great, but why don't you like this song? Okay. I'm going to try and like not immediately get on the soapbox with it, but I think that this song is just dumb. It's just a, it's a stupid song. Sure. And we just talked about another stupid song. Yeah. My Friend Peter. But My Friend Peter had something to it some guts to it some realness to it Mm -hmm. this song is not about anything sure i mean i think here's the thing is uh, from here to infirmary has you know there's a lot of dumb songs lyrically Uh that this band has on good records and bad records alike yeah to me i think infirmary is like the good record with the worst lyrics that people love uh-huh. Um, <laughs> myself included. Yeah, I think had I not heard the song as an eleven-year-old, I probably would feel differently. Sure, but also so much of this record is really about writing a record and writing songs. Yeah, and the song being about nothing almost doesn't matter to me because I think Skiba's lyrics on the bulk of this record are meaningless. Uh huh. But I think he's really developing his songwriting language. Which sure I, I eventually will be a disservice to him, but at this point, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff because he was doing octave stuff earlier, but never this pronounced. This is really uh, the record where that comes in. It's crazy how much how great the guitars do sound on the record, and his, like I think the development of his voice and his use of octaves it comes through so well on this record because the guitars just sound so piercing in that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it really pushes him forward. And I think that's why, for a long time, I was always drawn to the Matt songs on this record more than the Dan ones Uh because, you know, Dan's songs are a little more pulled back or a little more nuanced, where basically throughout this record, Matt's just going for the gut. 
you know? Yeah. And uh, the, I, the big part of why I, I really like this song is like we were talking about, it's all an incline, right? Uh-huh. I think the lyrics are almost meaningless. I think the chorus is really strong, but I think, you know, it's a very simple tactic they use where the bridge is basically just kind of a variation of the chorus. Right. And then they come back into it. Uh-huh. But the way they pull that off, is it's the only moment on the record where I feel like Mike really does what Glenn would do with that big kind of like wild drum roll leading into that last yeah, arm again where they hold it out. I do really like that. I feel, I feel like the last like 40 seconds of this song are really, really strong just because of, you know, the way he holds, we sink, yeah. we sink. And that's a, that's a really good build. And it's also really like this band doesn't write choruses and when, or I'm sorry, they don't write bridges. No. Not. And when they do, they're bad. Not not all. No, I know yeah, what you yeah. mean. You're um, not wrong. And this is a really good way to kind of work around the idea that like a song should have a bridge to it. Well, and and the, the screaming at the end of it is excellent. Yeah, as well. It's a it's. You I wanna, think you I think Matt's voice is sure. great on the thing. I think you know? it's. I, I, uh, I just don't buy the verse, and I don't. I think the chorus is like the lamest thing that he has written up to this point arm like what armageddon like i cool I, man i would disagree i think there's lamer lyrical choices earlier on this record even though i do like some of them i guess where i find myself going with my argument against this song mm-hmm. is that people want to all right we all think we can all agree that like the downfall of Alkaline Trio is when Matt runs out of things to sing about. Am I right? I would say it's when he runs out of things to sing about. And I also think it's a symptom of what this record achieved because I'll get into this more when we talk about earlier records, but I Uh think a big charm of early Alkaline Trio in particular is you're listening to a drummer learn how to play guitar and write songs. Uh And this is where he figures out what a like, a b a b c b b structure is sure you know in the classic template of verse chorus songwriting but there's still interesting parts of it i still think he's writing riffs that aren't simple three chord melodies Uh uh-huh when he stops being able to write about things and when he just relies way too heavily on three chord a b structures this band becomes woefully uninteresting because at any given point i can forgive one or the other Sure. But I can, it's very hard to forgive both. And to me, you just described my feelings about this song. Mm-hmm. And I think that people want to say, well, they lost it, Crimson Era. Sure. And I say, no, go back and listen to a song like Armageddon where he's not trying. He's not singing about anything. And like, I've, I feel I'm, I'm always going to like, rail on him for repeating the first verse in mm-hmm. the third verse i i know it's, but it's it's glaring when it's bad here's the thing is like i understand that as a pet peeve that doesn't bother me as much because it, it's all his lyrics largely are wallpaper to me you know there's a few songs in the history of alkaline trio that i've really resonated with lyrically but uh-huh. by and large it's always been what how he's saying it sure you know and to me in the same way that I don't see what the Ramones were doing as lazy, I don't see what they were doing here as lazy either. Because there's a part of uh, 
there's a part of the alkaline trio thing when we're talking about the production of this record that I would liken to, you know, this is going to sound insane, but follow me on this thread. Really what got me into the idea of just atmosphere, uh-huh. you know, that you, that I would see in like black metal where it's shrill and it sounds like shit. And I honestly don't understand what they're saying, but it doesn't matter to me because it's an evoking an image. Uh-huh. And I think infirmary is the record where he's infirmary and maybe I'll catch fire is really where he's doing that. It's about uh, being mired in something and really stuck in a place. And I, to me, that's why so much of that resonates. But maybe I'll catch fire. Like he's at least able to evoke something. Sure. There's nothing evoked here. He wrote yeah. the words on the back of a photograph. Okay. Yeah. And then and then the chorus has nothing to do with the verses. Yeah, I mean the song lyrically makes no sense. But I would I hear this song start and I'm all in. Okay. All I, right, I, sure. I think I think musically this song holds up to the scrutiny that one could apply to cop. Yeah. As I mean, you yeah, were. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, sure. The name of our podcast. Right. Yeah, and I would agree with that to an extent, but I would also say that like what got me on the alkaline trio was i was drinking you goodbye my heart flows in the bay like lines like that on god damn it and that like just that immediacy of emotion that you felt Mm -hmm. coming through on those early records and then i think i enjoy following this band as you know a band that's still able to get you Mm -hmm. in that way but also the development of songwriters like i respect that too sure i guess i just i this is a a moment where i liked this song when it came out and if 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 fucking Mm -hmm. if somebody threw it on at a party i would be stoked i would be sure 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 but when i go back to it like years later after you know having my fallout with the alkaline trio yeah going back to a song that I really did like then yeah. and being like, man, this song is lazy. Sure, and feeling sure. like I was kind of, I don't want to say lied to, but maybe one slipped by sure, me. Sure, I mean, I think for me, you know, I don't want to give away uh, talking about a song that we will come to later, but uh-huh. the song before this on the record is a very important song to me. Yeah. Probably one of the only songs I would uh, describe as like, having a true emotional impact on me. Yeah. And part of what I like about Armageddon is the fact that it follows that. Like we were talking about is that it's a B-side song that's just like, they're getting kind of heavy with what they're talking about on that. Uh And especially, you know, with the the song that precedes it, I respect the levity of it in terms of it kind of rolling in. Is it the best song they've ever written? I would never say that. Right. But I think it serves a very strong purpose, especially for trying to think about where they were at that time. You know, if we're talking about the idea of singles, right? Yeah, sure. We're talking about them playing these five or six band Vagrant America package tours. We're talking about them playing the Warp Tour. Uh-huh. You have to have a song like Armageddon that, you know, unlike a God Damn It or maybe I'll Catch Fire song where there's the back half is basically just an instrumental. Yeah, or sure, like, sure. Uh-huh. You know, the, the, the slightly more like, you know, the song's about watching flies fuck. You need a song that's just like, oh, Armageddon, I can, I can kind of woe-oh this. Yeah, you yeah, know? for sure. And um, is it the best thing they've ever done? No. Is it cheap? Absolutely. Yeah. But I would not, I would hesitate to call it lazy, Uh huh. in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. And, and respect on that uh, pointing out, you know, following 
Following Your Dead, which is a song that I also have um, like a, a tremendous emotional attachment to. And, you know, looking at what follows after that, too, like I'm Dying Tomorrow kind of like hits on yeah. the same level. And there is a lot of like celebratory like feelings to both of these songs and kind of a like a yeah well fuck it like here's here's to it here's yeah, to the, yeah. the world and i respect that and i think that um you know i just like i guess i kind of look at it and i'm like people don't like stupid kid because it tried to be a single yeah i think stupid kid did a better job of trying to be a single and armageddon like I, I would agree, really I would agree with well. that if we're, if we're looking at it through that lens uh-huh. like if we're comparing those two directly like I think stupid kid is truly an underrated song in their Canon yeah um it it's again in the same way arm again is it's cheap yeah you know for sure it's, it's very much going for it but I I do think it is a better chorus whereas uh-huh. I think Armageddon you can say like we talked about it's all just like boom 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 it's 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 yeah, it's, yeah. it's the the metalcore version of the songwriting part 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 right you know and you're just making them into what you need but i i've you know it has a chorus that it, it's it's one of the the things where it's like i really like how they're harmonizing together on it i really think you know that is something that's added and needed especially in the wake of glenn leaving when there were so often be parts of songs where all three were singing together yeah and you know they needed to carry they, they were filling a void mm-hmm. and i think it was them figuring out how to fill that void with you know just two people for sure for sure and what they do is like yeah you know i i don't fault i don't fault anyone for making a stab at- sure at attaining something and like signing to vagrant is something that that's supported on my end and and you know trying to write a single it's you know i don't i don't take offense to anything like that it's just like you know that you have i feel like a lot of this podcast is maybe going to be unpacking the feeling that you have with something that you loved so much that let you down at a certain point totally and then you have to go back and and deal with the emotion and deal with like your reactionary feelings of like well no i never liked it in the first place sure and you sure, know that sure that's sure. bullshit and yeah you're gonna yeah. know that like a few years down the line but it's that that separation and that time in between yeah because I, I mean i think the ultimate point i'm getting to is like i don't like sit around listening to alkaline trio all day yeah despite the the uh-huh. beliefs to the contrary <laughs> uh but you know when i'm thinking of like oh when i want to listen to alkaline trio this isn't one of the first songs i i put on right but it's one of those songs when it kind of comes up randomly or like when i still go see them play live and it comes on it's like ah, oh, cool yeah you know like nothing wrong it, with it's it. a song that you know it's it's just a sugar rush man you know it's yeah. it's like saying smarties lack substance like it's fine <laughs> you know i guess like you know, you can say Smarties lacked substance, but you know, if your Smarties at at one point were were a well seasoned meal, sure, you might be sure. a little bit annoyed. No, no, I get that. I get that. Um, but I do like Dan's bass playing. Always, just he always like finds a way to be doing something like super yeah. active underneath without being obtrusive yeah i mean there there are moments maybe early someone could argue he's he's stepping on toes Uh but he is such a really strong player and just creative and like finds ways to like basically ride a root note 
but just really throw in stuff there that makes it feel very active. And, and I think that's, you know, you see that a lot in the early stuff. And I think that's something that does get lost later on. Though, if you really kind of listen to the bass playing, there is still really interesting things happening. Yeah. But I think, you know, he was never really, you know, when you listen to a lot of like the quote unquote pop punk of that time, emo leaning stuff. Yeah, sure. You know, I think bass was highly undervalued and like just really like uninteresting and he was kind of really sticking his neck out and being able to take this very active octave chord lead line and just like really fill up the rest of the space yeah and there's like i love the bit that he does at the intro of it where it's just like bouncy just yeah and it's just like it's it's super active and it's just something interesting that he can do like you know, within the range of that route where he's bouncy in a particular way that mm-hmm. fits within it. Yes. But it's it's unique and if you if you focus in on it, you're just like, oh fuck, he's like killing it right now. No, totally. And he's always got he's always got really, really good, well placed walk ups that aren't yes. they're not flashy, but you like you listen to this band enough that you sense them when they're coming and you just like, yeah. you just hone in on it. And it's, it, it's always, I feel like his tone has been really, really good from the get go. Yeah. And on God damn it, it was super like chunky. Yes. And it, it just tunes down a little bit from that, you know, going into where he's still, it's like, he's obviously still playing a jazz bass, but yeah. it's not like, over the top like clunky it's just no. really really warm within you know that, that that bounciness yeah and i would say like dan is also one of my favorite bass players to watch play yeah you know because he's got just these very much like his playing he's very subtle uh-huh. but he's very invested in it yeah you know he's you can tell there's a lot of thought and a lot of passion that went into it even on songs that i think are bad you can tell he really tries so hard to make himself not just stand out because he was, you know, especially at this time, you know, people saw him as the side man. Yeah, for despite sure. Despite the fact he sang, despite the fact that, like, he had a long history, uh, you know, of being in great bands and writing great songs, you know, uh, I think he was always undervalued. And I think there's part of that in him that remains, so to speak. You and did that in the last one. I'm going to keep doing it. I uh, know. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think Dan does a great job of the song. And like I said, like this is one where I think Mike does a really admirable job. And, and that's part of why it sticks to me is I think it's it's a good version of the type of riff Skiba would write and run into the ground years yeah, later. Sure. But it, it was early enough to like looking at it now, I can see the faults in it. But trying to put myself back in my shoes then, uh-huh. you know. It, it felt new. Yeah, them. yeah, definitely. Even if it was, you know, maybe not a well-balanced, nutritious diet. Well, I, can't, I, will, I, will, I will admit that I came in wanting to really, really rail on it. And sure. I, I, I brought it up to friends in the car. I'm like, you know what? That song sucks. And they were like, no, fuck you. And I was like, no, fuck you. But, yeah, you know, being able to look at it for what it is and seeing it within the placement of that record. I think it, I think it, it does what it's supposed to do. Yeah. From here to infirmary is not ever going to be my favorite. Sure. But it's, it's always going to be something that I think, you know, I'll point out the flaws to it, but it's never offensive. That's the thing is from here to infirmary, 
is a record that holds a very special place in my heart. Uh-huh. It's a record when I'm not in the mood for it, I would point out all the same things you did about a lot of these songs. Mm-hmm. But there are moments where it just take it transports me back, and you know, the part of that's nostalgia, and I think part of that is also an effectiveness at you know trying to put it in the context of the time and place, even if I am removed from that time and place. You know, yeah. If if I was to rank the hundred and some alkaline trio songs would this be in the top 20 no way right it would it fall near the middle of the pack probably uh-huh but is it good for what it is i i think so yeah for sure and it's an interesting way to analyze something i think that it's it's something that you know you get a lot more life out of you know out of looking at things in terms that are unique to time and place as opposed to just always being like well it's not goddamn it yeah and it needs to be goddamn it for it to have any impact on me exactly i you know this is a conversation we'll get into later on the podcast we don't need to get there now but i do think there there is a flawed thinking in a lot of people of like when we think about any great artist that has a long trajectory right they get bad at a point some of them come out of it some of them don't Uh but it doesn't mean that Bob Dylan is bad because he hasn't made an interesting record in how long? Um, or, or well, Modern Times was like, I mean, that was ten years ago, which is wild to think that it wasn't that long ago. As I'm thinking about it, but yeah. it was ten years ago. Yeah, and like in between there, you know, yeah, I, I think one could argue has more bad records than good records. Yeah, but it, oh, do- yeah, but it doesn't. It doesn't right. devalue what the good ones were, right? And it doesn't devalue someone having a preference for one or the other. Yeah, because I think you get into you get into not to get too far into the the person that you chose here. Yes, but like yes. you know, Dylan in in 1997 was doing really interesting things. Yes, they're not they're not blonde on blonde, but they're really interesting things. In the exactly, people's. exactly. I guess that there is like not to not to go back and try to prove myself right. But I have a really easy time applying that logic, that like, uh-huh. you know, that ability to see something for what it is with the records that come after Infirmary than I do with Infirmary as a whole. Sure. And I mean, I think, as I might have said early on, like, we're talking about really the most transitional, weird period of this band's career, as much as people would. You know, the, the records later really say like, oh, they were trying all this different stuff. Like, I'm more into that personally. Uh-huh. But I, you know, they were a band that was ascending kind of out of nowhere. They were a band that really had grown up, you know, developed playing with like Chicago weirdo noise and post rock and instrumental bands. That was their scene yeah. as much as the Lawrence Arms was, uh-huh. you know, them playing with Luster King and touring with fucking Luster King, who are largely an instrumental band, or Sweep Like Johnny, or like I all this know shit. They toured with Luster King. Yeah. You wow. Know? Um, so, like, they were coming from a very different world. This is them kind of being thrust into a, a place of, like, you guys are going to be a popular band. You have right. the potential to be a very big band. Uh-huh. You just lost a drummer. We're getting this guy in. You've had replacements. You need to write, you know, you need a record out real quick. You know, there there are a lot of pressures on them. And I think, you know, that's something that as much as we can talk about just like the integrity of art, when you're thrust in that position and you're not even, you know, that old, uh-huh. that, that's, that's a weird space to find yourself in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly. I guess like, what's the, um, is that short, is that the short version of like how it went? They signed with Vagrant and Vagrant's like, 
put a record out or it's... well i mean to a certain degree you're thinking about the market demands at that time you know uh, if they don't have a record out they're not getting hot. that blink 182 tour right you know you don't have a record out you're not gonna you know get as high a placement on the vagrant america tour uh-huh. especially with money being tied up at vagrant which we can get into when we talk about maybe the punk planet side of things that exposed what was happening at vagrant at the time sure you know it was a strike while the iron's hot moment yeah, yeah. you know and is we're talking about how the industry moved a lot slower right but they needed a record that was going to be in Best Buys and Circuit Cities and malls. Uh-huh. As much as I love Asian Man, right, that was yeah, not yeah, happening. Yeah. You know, you sign that band if, you know, I will always respect the fact that Alkaline Trio has kept those records with Asian Man through all these years because uh-huh. they could have easily been sucked up into the vagrant machine if the band so wanted so they could have been everywhere. Yeah. But they didn't do that. And I think there is a, there's something that, like, as much as people will still to this day throw sellouts at them you know there was there was an integrity there and i think you know that sometimes a a record is meeting those demands as much as they are artistic ones yeah sure yeah i i I guess i have like you know an evolving relationship with the the idea of selling out and Mm -hmm. like how that plays out and it's something that you know I don't have a problem with anybody getting paid for anything. Same. And, but at the same time, there's something that happens within me when I hear something that seems, you know, market driven. Sure. In, in the sense of like how the art is coming out that I immediately get like my fists up about it. Sure. And that, you know, doesn't, exactly you know vibe with this this idea that where i'm like no if you're gonna get paid for something do it you know yeah, no I mean? I mean it's a difficult thing because i do i think this record was made from a place of like oh we need to get the cash no right but do i think you know there was there was definitely uh pressure and drama within that camp that we can talk about later uh-huh. when i provide you some reading materials yeah uh but uh yeah you know it's one of those things where it's like I don't fault anybody for going at it. If you don't create a good product at the end of it, a good record, a good whatever, I'm not super interested in it. Yeah. But, you know, I think sometimes art, great art is made through constraints. Mm-hmm. You know, not always, you know, but uh, not everything can be a darkness on the edge of town either. Yeah. No, that's true. And I think, uh, yeah, you know, nothing about infirmary ever offends me. I I think I I think I always take a a stance that's like you know maybe a little a little antagonistic to be like it's, you know it's it's not that good if you think it's that good but I but, you know but I think that's fair uh-huh. because it is held in high regard with a lot of people yeah so I think there's some there's some utility to poking holes in those balloons yeah for sure but you know eh, you, being a prick only gets you so far yeah <laughs> tell me about it. How do you rate this song? This is a tough one. I, for the purposes of everything I said, I'm going to give it, I obviously said why I like it. I'm going to give it three and a half skulls out of five. I'm going to give this song two and a half skulls out of five. It's kind of my standard fair alkaline trio rating uh, for from here to infirmary, at least. Fair enough. If you like what we're doing, subscribe to it on iTunes. Tell a friend. Tell one of your friends that you used to sing along 
to Armageddon with. Like, hey, get this. There's these two guys. They talk about Alkaline Trio one song at a time, and it's it's fine. Yeah, it's it's as good as Armageddon, really. Listen, and, yeah. It's not offensive. Yeah, it's Hopefully okay. Hopefully not. Yeah, it's totally okay. Um, and yeah, come back next Tuesday for another installment of As You Were podcast about Alkaline Trio. One thing I could never figure out is why does he say at the end of this song, need more laxatives before we sink? Fuck you. <laughs>